Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final regular season edition of the Bluminati podcast, proudly presented by Irish 31. What a long, strange trip it has truly been this year uh, from getting absolutely demolished to open the year to getting absolutely demolished by Tulane last week and everything in between. Uh, yeah. It's been it's been a roller coaster of events, and I think that's probably putting it lightly. Seth, how are you holding up? I'm good. The, the, the dog just went nuts. The, the, the dog's have, pissed off. He must, he must. He knows it's rivalry week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going well. I uh, hope to uh, end the season here on a high note. First dog interruption of the year, so we almost made it. Almost Nearly made it the whole year without a dog interruption, but you know what? He had to get it get it in here before the end. So, yeah, absolutely. And uh, for for the people who are not uh, heading to uh, a veto on Friday, uh, Irish Thirty One Hyde Park will be having the the Bulls bonus watch party with Danielle and Magic Ninety Four Nine at the Hyde Park location where we had our wonderful watch party back in October. That was a, a raging success. Super excited uh, about the turnout there and go support if you guys can't make it out. I know there's an Irish uh, 31 in in the Oviedo area. So, you know, you know, after win, lose, uh, win or lose, we booze. Right. So it doesn't really matter. So uh, enjoy yourselves. Drink responsibly. Uh, kickoffs at three thirty. So it'll start uh, around two thirty with uh, with the folks over there at Irish 31. And again, I, I truly can't thank. Uh, Melissa, Jay, everybody over at Irish Thirty One for for sponsoring this podcast this year. Um, we'll we'll have one more season wrap up podcast, but uh, heading heading down the road, we're you know we'll be looking for for new adventures, new sponsorships. I know they're they're interested in coming back for next football season. So uh, at least we didn't screw it up too badly this year, huh, Seth? That's right. <laughs> There's still a game left, but I think we've, we're, we're yeah. nearly there. Mission accomplished. Yeah. I have a banner. <laughs> somewhere. So somewhere, somewhere, there's a banner with a giant mission accomplished uh, <laughs> sign. Let's uh, let's kind of get into the the big news of the day. Uh, USF women's basketball is now 18th in the AP women's top 25 uh, after knocking off then number nine Oregon Ducks uh, for third place in the the inaugural battle for Atlantis. I want to get uh, a shout out to them. There are only two losses this year uh, against UConn by seven, which is the fewest they've lost. I mean, again, fewest they've lost to UConn by ever uh, single digits. They were competitive for all four quarters. The tie going to the fourth quarter. Yep. Uh, and then uh, losing to Tennessee in the fourth quarter. So two, two top, I think 15 teams. I think Tennessee's now 11th. So, I mean, some quality, quality losses. You like that for your net. And, uh, you know, hopefully UConn writes the ship because they got absolutely slapped by South Carolina in the title game uh, of the Battle for Atlantis. But a great event. Uh, good job by Jose and, and the crew having everybody ready. But I wanted to get a quick plug in for them before we kick off this, uh, this rivalry week and uh, just. We talked about it in Slack today. This is just not a fun rivalry anymore. Like it just it's it's toxic. It's like a toxic friend or relationship that you just for some stupid ass reason you keep coming back to and, and expecting different results. Uh, 
Seth, you've been in it for what, three years now? I, it, you, do you feel the toxicity uh, just permeate through kind of everything? I mean, it happened today with a innocuous uh, press conference question. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think like on social media, it really is more toxic than in, you know, real life. I don't really see much. I know, you know, I know a bunch of UCF people. This is not like they're not crazy frothing in the mouth on Twitter. It's kind of, it's kind of a different story. There's uh, uh I mean, there there's people that'll, you know, basically judge your whole character based on if you went to USF or UCF. It's very strange. Um, you know, oh, he's okay. He's okay for USF guy. And it's like, well, I mean, well, come on, get real, be a human. Um, but yeah, on Twitter, it's crazy. In real life, not so much. I think uh, I think some have described it as being a too online of a rivalry at times. I think that is accurate. I think people are way too over the top online, but that's how it is with a lot of things nowadays. So that's why you have we we have you around, Seth, to be the the, the calming and even keeled fella uh, throughout. <laughs> Throughout the thunderstorm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like the other part of the rivalry that makes it, there is a part that does make it nasty. I think it's not like both have been really good at the same time. Typically there's been times and then those have been great games. And I think there's a respect level there, but when, when a lot of times they're kind of in different directions and, and then now all the conference stuff is just making it even nastier. Uh, but that is all on Twitter and on social media. Um, I know I haven't gone to a game. I did. I have been to one UCF game, actually. Um, uh, a guy I know played at Furman. So I was on the sideline when Furman beat UCF. So I was on the well, how about that? I was on the Furman sideline. So, you know, that was tough. A tough look for UCF. Uh, I have a brother that went, my, bro- my brother went to UCF for, for film schools, but he doesn't really care about sports. So, but uh, yeah, tough look for the old the old Golden Knights that day losing to the Paladins. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is online, and, and just a lot of the crazies talking back and forth. But like the stuff today was so stupid, and it was it was such an innocuous question that got turned into something crazy. It's like relax, come on. So yeah, uh, it's been interesting. Let's uh, kind of jump into it. Um, three thirty Friday, Black Friday, uh, ESPN, Roy Philpot, Kelly Stoffer, and uh, Lauren Sisler on the sideline. This is this is to break the the six six tie, right? It's been as you mentioned, it's been up and down. You know, USF wins the first four, and then uh, it it's not fun for a while, for for a good little bit, and and now it's it's not fun again. Uh, you know, 2013, 2014 were pretty brutal, brutal years for for the Bulls. They got shut out in 2014 and then just turned right around 2015, 2016 and spanked them. And then where USF's on a four game losing streak in the series, um, you know, last year was pretty close. Uh, we all know we all remember the 2017 game, probably probably the best game I've ever seen in my life in person. Um, and then 2018, 2019 were just not competitive. Yeah. The, the unfortunate uh, McKenzie Milton injury in 2018, that kind of derailed his pretty promising career. Uh, and now he's at Florida state kind of 
getting whatever scraps Jordan Travis has uh, given to him. And it's just uh, the sliding doors of, of this series continue. And now USF has fired defensive coordinator Glenn Spencer uh, after that terrible, terrible two-lane performance uh, and, and season. And, uh, you know, Jeff Scott is going to be looking for defensive coordinator uh, starting next week. Probably starting Saturday morning, um, if we're being honest. He probably already has a short list. He's going to be interviewing people. Um, he said, you know, some people may be, you know, in the NFL right now, and they'll see that season goes to January. So he's not really a stickler for time for recruiting purposes. I think you'll notice, you know, Will Turner at Bulls 24-7 basically said the same thing. It's not really going to affect recruiting that much that Glenn Spencer's not here anymore. And he he said as much in the press conference on Tuesday where he's like, well, you know, the guys we have committed uh, doesn't really change much. So here we are. Um, what based on the personnel that that the Bulls have and returning based on you know some of the recruits that are coming in, what would you like to see this USF defense be, you know, other than multiple and aggressive and, uh, you know, blitz and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, just being really sound would be a step up and a step in the right direction. I, I, I think some of the stuff they did was not particularly sound, um, in my opinion. There's there, there's some they do some different stuff at the college level where they, they can try some different things and you do it at some other levels. But like, um, you know, and then. I, I think you, I think some of it is uh, personnel, but you can coach tackling and, and guys being in position to make plays when they're not having to reach out and dive at people's legs. Sometimes you miss a lot of tackles because guys aren't in good position and they got to dive and try to, you know, get somebody's legs instead of being in, you know, having to run, turn back to them in their gap because everybody's in gaps and we got really good gap control and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that, um, you know, some complexity would be nice, but I, I thought it was interesting that Jeff Scott basically, he almost, he didn't really say this, but it, the way I took it is it was kind of like, yeah, I messed up the hire the first time, but I didn't really know what I had. Like it, it, it seemed when he mentioned, I know now I know what people in the conference run on offense. Now I know what kind of personnel we have so I can go make a hire with that information in mind. Last time he really kind of had to make it blind. It seemed like, and he kind of, um, to me, so didn't admit, but it, it seemed like kind of a, in some ways admitted that he made a, a wrong hire there. And obviously firing the guy in year two is a, is kind of an omission of that as well. But um, I, I think, you know, just being more sound all the way around, you look at like a Navy, they tackle pretty well. They don't have a ton of great athletes. Like you can teach tackling and getting guys in the right position. That would be, if you just see that, that would be a big step up, I think. Cause I mean, how many times do you have guys close and miss a tackle and maybe it's just because they're not put in the best position they could be. So that would be nice. Yep. And, you know, I asked him that question after Houston, right? Um, you know, is, is it time to make the defensive coordinator change? And he said, well, you know, you look at the tape and, you know, these guys are in position to make plays and they're just not making them. So, it, you know, it'd be an issue if they weren't in position and uh, to make the plays because they wouldn't be able to make them. And now, after Tulane, it seems like a, a different tune, or maybe he's just, uh, he finally said the quiet part out loud that we've all been thinking. And uh, it's kind of at, at the point where at that juncture, after just getting completely embarrassed, 
by a Tulane team who who hadn't you know totaled 400 yards since week one, or at least multiple times since week one. Uh, scoring 20, scoring, letting them score 30 points was a, a massive feat because they hadn't done that since uh, Morgan State in week two. Like it's just a culmination of things, and uh, you know. Jeff Scott chalked it up to a bad day at the office. And man, this was a really, really bad day for the defense. And it cost Glenn Spencer his job. Yeah. And that that can and that can happen, but you know, that typically doesn't happen like eleven times in a row. So you you, you don't just have a bad day eleven times in a row. At that point, you kind of are what you're what you're putting on film, you are what you are. Like the offense, I would say they had a bad day. Um the defense this is not this. This is was not a performance that was out of character for what the defense have done this year. Now, mm-hmm. is that on the players? I think Jeff Scott, his actions would say it's not totally on them. They're not. They were not put in the best position. That's why he made the change, um, among some other reasons. But uh, I, I, I'm excited to see what he does. It's really you know based on his previous hires, you really don't know exactly which way he's going to go. So it's. It's interesting to see which way he wants to go. Mentioning maybe some guys in the NFL, you know what? What is the pool of candidates? NFL position coaches that you know that kind of stuff. Um, it will be really, really interesting to watch. And, and then you get all the fun of a of a coach search without having to look for a new head coach. So that's always fun. Yeah, that's always fun. You still have stability within the yeah. program, which is key when you're uh, still going through a presidential search. Who doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. And, you know, there's always the threat of Michael Kelly leaving for Miami or Florida or another one of these uh, big, you know, power schools because, you know, he's very good at what he does. And, you know, it, if you're if you were well educated, you you would know uh, Michael Kelly is probably the right choice for any of these AD jobs. But I think people will not look past the the football record. So I appreciate that as well. Uh, for being able to maybe keep Michael around a bit longer than uh, probably USF deserves because he's been a breath of fresh air for for this uh, athletic department and this university as a whole. Um, but you, you mentioned, you know, you are what you are. I asked, I asked Jeff straight up on, on Saturday as I – framed it as i mean you let a quarterback who's completing 58 percent of his passes to complete nearly 80 percent uh you gave up 150 more yards than the teams allowed uh has been gaining uh you're 11 games in you are what you are at this point right i mean that's when he kind of had the freudian slip where he's like well well, i've seen the defense you know we haven't seen the defense play that (laughs) right so i think he he knew what was at stake and i think glenn probably did too and it just probably the open subordination uh, or insubordination probably didn't help either. Uh, no, but not, typically it's not typically when you, when your boss asks you to do something, you should probably do it. Yeah. And then when you don't, there are repercussions. Uh, so every game is like a big presentation to uh, your fans, which are like the board. So if your boss <laughs> tells you, he wants you to present it a certain way. If you don't, you better nail it. You better get the sale. You better nail it. Uh, when you don't, that's when you get fired. So uh, you got to listen to your boss. That's always helpful. It's it's always helped me uh, in the past. You know, so maybe next time, Glenn. 
Yeah, I believe uh, the term is uh, he fucked around and he found out. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tough break, my guy. Um, let's let's get let's dig into the game here. Uh, this Central Florida team is they're okay, right? I mean, I think it's pretty. I th- I think they're better than USF for sure. I just top to bottom, even without Dylan Gabriel, I think this team is better right now than USF. I think what the lines up to 18 and a half. Yeah, I believe so. And that was after the Glenn firing or before? I think it, op- I saw somewhere that it opened at 18 and a half and it's kind of stuck, but I, I think it, I thought I saw Colin say it opened some places at 14 and, and then yeah. went up. So um, after the firing, so that seems about right. Um, you know, you can't factor in, Hey, it's a rivalry game. You know, the, these guys will be up. It's there's juice, but I mean, that's on that 18 side. and a half, yeah, that 18 and a half point spread is what it is because it's probably pretty accurate. Uh, and if you're looking at these numbers on the page here that Parker from stats of war has uh, lots of red on one side, not as much and uh, some, some deep blues uh, on the right side. So yes. let's, let's digest, let's digest into it. What do yeah, you got? So I thought the interesting part of this, um, you know, this is so. I was asking Parker about this today because I was looking at, uh, through a few and I was getting stuff ready for the big Florida game this weekend as well. And their numbers were different than what they had in the site. So I, I was wondering, kind of, you know, are all your numbers are these good? And so these are actually numbers from. He told me that the advanced stats are numbers since week five. So it does filter out some of those early season games, and it also gives you kind of a good look at UCF kind of post Dylan Gabriel as well. So you look at their success rate, not great. So kind of on a down-to-down basis on offense, they have not been great, especially throwing the ball. They've been all right running the ball. Um, you kind of see USF's kind of uh, been okay throwing the ball, not, not not bad. Not as bad as UCF, but um, running the ball, thirty now 37th in the country in terms of success rate. So And then up top here in the middle, you have the offense, USF offense versus the UCF defense. UCF got pretty good pass defense. They're 17th defending the pass in terms of EPA. But look at their rush defense, 116th per rush attempt. So I think the plan would definitely be come in, run the ball, and try to control the game that way. That's definitely, it appears to work, to be a spot where USF has an advantage. Kind of push that, run the ball. Defensively, you know, they're, they're um, you look at the USF defense, uh, you know, red's not good. Uh, that's why you get fired, right? Um, yep. So uh, what UCF has done well, so you look at their, Echo rate, so that is quality drives. They haven't, they don't have a lot of quality drives. They're 109th in the country. That's kind of right here in the in the middle. This uh, 109th quality drive. But when they do get a quality drive, they score touchdowns more often than not. They're 5.03 points per quality drive. So, um, the, I, obviously, the key is to kind of win third downs. 
as you see, they're not great on third downs, third down success, 38.55%, third and fourth down success, which is 96 in the country. When third downs, don't let them get sustained drives because when they do, they score points. They, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're not super um, – kind of their explosiveness has gone down a little bit this year and, and compared to years past. So um, get off the field early. And then, you know, you can kind of contain them. But if you let them convert third downs and get those quality drives going, they really are good at converting those into touchdowns. So um, that'll be a key. And then on the other side of the ball, they're good at keeping you out of the end zone when you get a quality drive. So they're, they, they're giving up 53% of the drives against them are quality drives, but they're only giving up 3.4 points per quality drive. So that's top 20 in the country. So, we talk about it every week, but when the USF offense gets down there, touchdowns, not field goals. If you get a field goal in the red zone, that's a loss. And, and to your point here, uh, looking, uh, Central Florida has scored 38 touchdowns in the red zone on 47 tries. That's an 81% clip. That's pretty damn good. They're, as you mentioned, they, they finish their drives, they get points. Mm-hmm. And then on, on the flip side, defensively, they're really good at getting you off the field and not not giving up points. You see that points per echo rate at, at 3.44, 20th in the nation. Yeah, they give up – they've only given up 26 touchdowns and 45 red zone, red zone attempts, which is 58%. Like that is – that's gonna win. That's you that's gonna win you games. Even you can even a lot with of a, games that just doing that, right? And with uh, you know you got to you know unfortunately break in a new starting quarterback after the Gabriel injury, and then Bowser goes down. I think in the same game, and, and you're trying to figure out a way to to do it. And I think uh, everyone, it you know all the sane, rational Central Florida fans will tell you that they're the biggest. Uh, biggest difference to this team than last year is their defense and they brought in the the new defense coordinator i think his name's travis williams if i'm not mistaken uh taking over for andy shannon and it's it's literally night and day you're you're seeing uh, a defense that's been really really good for chunks of this season and i mean they held what they held two lane to 10 points uh, a couple weeks ago i mean that's yeah, they, they've had to rely, uh, like you said, they've kind of relied on their defense uh, since that turn, and they've been able for the most part. The really, though, I think the only game that they were just totally outclassed in this year defensively um, since that injury seems to be. I haven't been following closely that Cincinnati game where Cincinnati just came out and absolutely wrecked them. Um, but other than that, they they played pretty good on defense. Um, it'll it'll. You know the the what was what's kind of funny is last year, um, they were still not bad on defense. I don't think, and USF was terrible on offense coming into the game. And then they go out and put together their best game of the year by far against Central Florida. So if you're hoping that kind of you stay true to that form there, and and, and then you're able to go. So good offenses. There's kind of the here's kind of the. The, the reality of it, good offenses give them some problems, but they can hold a, a, a like an average offense down. It's kind of what it is, kind of what it seems like. So let's see. For instance, SMU went and just waxed them a couple weeks ago. So here you go. So offenses, I'd say, are pretty good. Louisville's got pretty decent offense. SMU, Cincinnati. 
you see those offenses are putting up 40, 56, 55. UConn with a spry 17 there. But offenses that are kind of, you know, lesser. Memphis, with uh, they had a backup quarterback. But seven, Temple, seven, Tulane, 10, East Carolina, 16. So I think they're pretty good defense, probably not a great defense. But against, uh, you know, they can hold those average offenses way down. The good offenses give them a lot of problems. So you just got to hope USF comes out and plays one of their bad games of the year. And if they do, they could probably put up some points. But if they play like they did last week, probably not. Yeah, and that that's going to be the issue. Now Now we're trying to figure out what offense uh, USF's – which offense USF's going to show up. Is it going to be, you know, the, the one that was able to move the ball late against BYU? Was it the one that, you know – kind of put a scare into Cincinnati in the second half? Is it is it the Houston offense or does to, does it roll over because it's a short week and you're you're reeling from just getting absolutely thrashed and now your defensive coordinator has been fired and now you're just kind of, you know, turning one loss into two. And it, it's going to be really interesting to see how Timmy McLean responds because he, I think it's fair to say he didn't respond well after throwing that interception in the second on, on the bull's second drive. Uh, the, the entire team really didn't respond after the long touchdown given up. And then you come back down and you throw the interception, uh, you get the penalty and now it's a short field. And now they're up 14, seven before, you know, some of the fans that trickled in are finding their seats and it's, that's tough sledding to be go down twenty eight seven in the first quarter, and it's, yeah, uh, and it's kind of that's been the issue this year is a lot of times just that one really bad. Now it wasn't necessarily as much last week just because they didn't play great throughout the game, but this year it's been really one bad quarter has really killed them in a few games. So you can't have anything happen like that this Friday if you want to win on the road. No, absolutely not. And just looking at what Central Florida does by quarter, uh, they come out guns blazing in that first quarter. They're they're outscoring opponents by 27 points in the first quarter and then again in the third quarter. So the, your first quarter is great because you, you, they're scripting, you're doing everything, and then that third quarter you're scripting the second half. And they're, they're <laughs> this, is a, this is wild. They are outscoring their opponents in the third quarter by 50. So they make some great halftime adjustments. Jeff Scott said today, you know, with Daniel DePrado and Nerdy Sims now calling the plays on defense, it, there's going to be a feeling out process on both sides to figure out, okay, we know what Glenn Spencer's tendency were, was on these certain situations. What are these guys' tendencies going to be? And now we have to figure that out, maybe a little bit of cat and mouse in the first half. And then in the second half, you're going to see how, how Central Florida actually responds, how you see a USF actually responds to what each side does. So it's going to be an interesting battle uh, of the minds, uh, so to speak, uh, especially on the defense for USF, who's they, they've never called plays. Yeah, yeah that'll be interesting. I think, um, you know, DePrado's the special teams coordinator as well, so he's got to be on the field. I'm not sure, and we, we talked about. We're not sure, and that'll be something we find out. Is you know, is Sims going to be up in the booth, or is he going to be on the field? I'm not sure where he is during the games normally, but it'll be interesting. Just it'll be a different process, I'd imagine, in terms of play calling, 
because I, I don't know. I know Glenn Spencer was on the sideline, so I'm not sure if he was part of signaling the play in or not, or kind of what, yeah. how they got the play in. But that'll have to be a process they they kind of work through this week. Um, so it'll be different, uh, it'll, but I, I think you know, like just Scott said, there's no tendencies really to kind of to kind of go off of. Um, you know, Houston. If you go back to the Houston game, for example, Houston had a pretty good idea of what USF was running on first and 10 because they caught him in the same look three or four times with perfect play calls. And that's because they knew exactly what they were going to run in this situation. So you do not want, and that's something you got to do self scouting and you've got to know if you've got those tendencies because good teams will take advantage. So it it really does give you a leg up. You know, it's tougher you know, um, when I was playing, we'd have seven on seven, and sometimes you'd play a seven on seven against a bad team. And it was almost worse playing. It, it was almost tougher to play against a bad team because a lot of times they didn't know where they were supposed to go. So you're 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 kind of you're kind of watching. You know, okay, it's cover two, and then this guy doesn't know where he's supposed to go, and he's kind of running all over the place, and he kind of is not where you're expecting him to be based on whatever right. else is doing. So like, even like, so just that little bit of doubt can really creep into your mind. So it's kind of the same thing in terms of calling plays. If you don't know what the other guy's going to do and you think he's going to do this and then he comes out to something totally different, it's going to take a while to adjust. Yeah. I'll say this uh, in the game notes for USF. Uh, they have updated the, the coaching staff where it shows Daniel DePrado and Ernie Sims as interim defensive coordinators. Both of them still have the field uh, kind of designation. Uh, the only person in the box is George Barlow, who's uh, the, the corners coach. Um, so that's something to kind of keep an eye on, and, and maybe we'll get some clarity uh, in the next couple of days as, as we prepare for Friday. But what – I, I want to make sure I phrase this properly. Like what chance, I guess the only way to do it is what chance does USF have at stopping uh, Isaiah Bowser and, and this running attack who they haven't been able to stop really anyone. And now you're, you're throwing in, uh, you know, a six foot one, 225, just absolute bruiser of a running back where uh, form tackling team tackling is necessary against big backs. And that has not been the bull's strong suit for yeah. 11 games so far. Well, I, I think you can do stuff up front, you know, and, and Scott mentioned that he said, there's, you know, a lot of the changes are going to be um, was interesting. He said, really, you can't change everything down to down. Like kind of, you, you somewhat do what you do, but in terms of situationally, you can change up, you know, like third downs, red zone, goal line, inside the five, you know, that kind of stuff. You can you can make changes there that um, he mentioned, like changes with like the front. So, you, you, so some, you know, to stop a run game, I'm sure Malzahn's got some zone stuff. He's got some gap stuff because he, he used to be at his heart. He's a wing T coach and he's changed kind of to fit the modern game more, but, you know, move up front. You, you, you can try some different run. Like there's stunts you can do just that are run stunts that kind of help you slow down the run game, play more tight, play more man coverage, put more people in the box. You know, maybe you have to take some of those kind of chances and hope that your guys can hold up on the outside. Um, you know, th- I think that's something that, 
Jeff Scott wanted to see last week was a little more main coverage, a little more uh, pressure on the quarterback, a little more aggressiveness up front. Did not get it, and we all know what happened. So I'd be interested. I think you may see some of that, load the box, make the quarterback beat you, because, again, I think if you have to pick your poison, you'd probably pick making the quarterback beat you, right? Um, I guess. Right. I mean, <laughs> if you look at the numbers, I, the success, just kind of looking at the numbers, they're a much, they're a better rushing team than they are a passing team. So, uh, and you know, if you're kind of play a little tighter coverage, maybe you can take away some of their screen game because Malzahn teams are usually really good in the screen game. So you take some of that stuff away, make them throw the ball downfield and have to connect vertically. You know, he typically has not had the most complex passing game. A lot of it's play action based. So if you got guys playing the run and they're not part of the passing, it's not part of coverage as much, maybe you can, you still have to win those matchups, which I think is a, is a tall ask for, for those corners, but um that would give you a chance to stop the run and, and make the quarterback complete throws to beat you. I, I think at least it, it makes it a little bit tougher on them. If you say so. <laughs> I mean, you may, it may, it, it, you know, it opens you up. We saw the Florida game. It opens you up to shots over the top too, but you know, it's kind of a pick your poison. Um, but but you can you can get by just doing some different run stunts and stuff like that early in the game, and then maybe I, I think the key is going to be to mix things up. Don't get too stuck in kind of the same coverage over mm-hmm. and over and the same looks over and over. <laughs> Teams are too good, especially if you're going fast, you know, and you're limiting your looks. Well, they're going to kill you if you do that. So, right, change stuff up. Don't be afraid to take some chances. I I don't think they will be. Um, because you know the risk, they're eighteen and a half point underdogs. They win this game, you know that's huge momentum going to the offseason. If they don't win the game, they're eighteen and a half point underdogs. So take right. some risks, do some stuff, do some interesting things. I'm sure they'll have some wrinkling on special teams too, like a reverse or something. That I think it seems like they're going to let it all hang out this week. So it it could be awesome, or it, it could be uh, like a train wreck. But either way, you, you can't take your eyes off of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we saw against Central Florida last year, there was a, a fake uh, fake field goal, I believe, early in the game that got that got stopped. Uh, but they, they're trying things. They they knew field goals weren't going to do it. They weren't it wasn't going to cut it. So uh, they're going to do stuff. They're going to let it hang out. I ex- fully expect Xavier Weaver, if he plays to throw a pass, like just mm-hmm. uh, like if there's a prop bet on Xavier Weaver pass attempts at over point five, I would take the over. Uh, for sure, if he plays, I think that's just an absolute sure bet. I would expect a double pass. I, I'm I'm expecting uh, Charlie Weiss Jr. to just let it let it flow. I'm expecting more sweeps. I'm expecting more counters, more speed options. Uh, you, you think- know, until it. Until they don't work, and then he never does it again. Uh, <laughs> until they until they do only pick up five yards and they stop doing. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think UCF's going to follow the same the same kind of defensively? Do you think they're going to play that man coverage that you saw Tulane play because it kind of gave the Bulls some trouble last week? Um, I think they they had some ways to exploit it, and we'll look at that later when we do a little quick film room at the end here, but. Do you think you see something similar from UCF? A lot of aggressiveness, man coverage, 
you know, kind of begging USF to beat them through the air. I would imagine that's how I would play USF. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. you got to prove to me that you can beat me off the line. Yeah. Prove to me you can hit the deep shots because there's no point in playing any zone where you're, you're letting a freshman quarterback kind of pick you apart no. when your receivers have shown that they can't get off the ball, especially – if Xavier Weaver doesn't play, yeah. uh, he's hampered by that hamstring injury. I mean, that's his safety blanket. That's that's his binky. Yes. That's that is his <laughs> toy that he takes everywhere, right? Uh, yes. and, and it sh- it showed last week. It showed in in spades that without Xavier Weaver, Timmy. He's not a fan, and uh, I wouldn't say quite to the level of uh, Seth. You, you've got three; I've got two. Of you know, the kid loses its pinky or its favorite sleep toy, and you're searching around the house for it, and yeah. you cannot find it for the life of you. And they are just screaming their head off. Like, yeah. It's not that; it's not quite that bad, but it's pretty close. And, yes. and you I've got it. My, I've got it. My car left and driven to Walgreens to buy another pacifier and drive home because I couldn't find it. I'm like, I'm not doing a whole night without this. So, yes, like it, it's it's soothing, and I get it. I completely understand why babies and Timmy would want uh, their their security blanket. Yeah. Like I completely understand it, and you know, I, I talk about it, uh, Isaiah uh, Bowser, who's he's averaging four point four yards a carry, but the the dude's a, a freaking menace to society uh in between the tackles and then they have johnny richardson and and mark anthony uh richards kind of on the outside are both averaging over six and a half yards per carry and doing really well so they can really hit you they're they're pretty dynamic uh on offense as well and you know the the uh, you the only thing i don't see a, a weakness for on ucf that usf can actually exploit like on the flip side, you know, USF can't tackle. They can't really cover you. You can you can do a lot of things on offense. If you press that, that's where you get them. And if you, you blitz and if you stop the run, you stop this entire offense. I don't see. I'm sure there are plenty of weaknesses that better teams can exploit. Like taking advantage of, of a freshman quarterback, doing something exotic, making making him second guess himself, you know, take, being able to take that half second. And now the guy's covered. Now he throws the ball late. Now he's picked off and things like that. I don't see that happening just because USF's defense is not good enough to exploit any weaknesses that this offense has. Um, they're not, they're, as you mentioned, they're not nearly as explosive uh, as in years past. There's no Gabe Davis. There's no Traquan Smith on, on this roster. They got talented guys. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but they're, I mean, their leading receiver is averaging 9.5 yards per, per catch. It, Ryan O'Keefe is Robinson is the guy. He's, is that the, is that the kid that transferred from Oklahoma previously? Jalen Robinson. Yeah. yeah. He still He's scares got, me a little bit, but you know. Six six uh six games played, sixteen catches, three hundred and six yards, nineteen yards. Has oh, he been hurt? Possibly, because he's a he's a guy that's scary to me. Like just in the past, he's been a guy that's okay. That guy is is freaky one on one. He's tough, but maybe he's uh I'm not quite sure what their injury report looks like. But you know, if um I'm surprised he's not their leading receiver, kind of with how much he got last year, but. Yeah, nine point four nine yeah, nine point four seven yards a catch on seventy-two catches. That's not a ton. So, you know, 
Oh, maybe you don't get those shots over top, so maybe you can be a little risky with man coverage, right? So, right. And I, I want to kind of touch that we we discussed the Ernie Sims and Daniel DePrado uh, be, taking over play calling duties uh, this week. We we kind of discussed it, you know, before going on air. What is a Daniel DePrado played at ULM? He was a quarterback. He's mm-hmm. been an offensive coach his entire coaching career. Yeah. What kind of perspective does that kind of guy bring to a defensive, you know, side of the ball where now you're you're kind of behind enemy enemy lines, so to speak? Yeah, there it's you can provide a little bit of different perspective um, than normal, especially since you've played and if that's what you've coached your whole career. You know, I would. Be a, my my brother was a head coach, and before that, he was a defensive coordinator, and we coached together. And I always coached on the offensive side of the ball. He always coached on the defensive side of the ball. So we we, we could kind of talk to each other, and you know, I'd be able to say, "Hey, if they're lining," he'd ask me, "Why would you line up this way? Or why would you why would you kind of line up in this certain way? What do you think they're setting up?" And I'd be able to look at it from my perspective of only coaching offense and say, "Okay, why would I do that? Why would I line up that way? Here's why. Okay, maybe I want to line up." If I'm cutting down this split, I mean, you know, maybe I want to run a crossing route. If I'm doing that, you know, and then on the other side of the ball, I'd say, hey, why would, you know, why would you put a defensive lineman head up here when they're always this way? You know, oh, well, this, you know, they're probably going to stunt or, you know, that kind of thing. So you can provide a perspective on why the offense does things, why are they lining up? And that can provide some good information for uh, a play caller. But then on, you know, just for him, just beyond providing a good perspective for, for, you know, Ernie Sims, he can also, he also understands what hurts an offense. So, you know, if he's coached similar style to, to Gus Malzahn, he might know, okay, well, Gus loves to run buck sweep. This is what really hurts buck sweep. This is like when I'm getting prepped for a game, I don't want to see the defense doing this because if they do that, that's really going to hurt when I call this play. Right. So he can provide kind of that perspective of what hurts this. And that's kind of you get to a point where you've coached for a long time where you can almost coach on either side because you understand, you know, how defenses try to attack you. And then how you try to attack a defense and then kind of you can, the good coaches can kind of mix those together and do a little bit of both. So I think even though he hasn't coached there, he can provide a unique perspective on on what UCF wants to do. And sometimes that perspective gives you the knowledge to know, OK, well, if that's what they want to do, here's how what we need to do to slow that down. Have you have you ever been, you know, a co-coordinator or anything like that where you're kind of bouncing plays off someone else? Uh, yeah. Kind of what what is that kind of dynamic? Like, I know Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott had a pretty good dynamic. I believe Tony Elliott called most of the plays with Jeff's heavy input. Like how yeah. how does that kind of work? What's the dynamic like? You know, I, not typically because, you know, every situation is unique. But like in, in your experience, what what's that been like? A lot of the a lot of the collaboration happens before the game. I think. I mean, there's some during the game. Obviously, I was uh, I was the offensive coordinator, but our head coach was an offensive guy, so we kind of did a lot of it together. I would say we were kind of co coordinators because he would have a lot of input on play calling and things of that nature. So some of it is collaborative during the week as you're getting the game plan together. That's you're doing the collaboration. Then um, you typically, you know, you want one guy calling it. Um, you don't want to be like rotating plays or something. All right, you get this one, you get that one. 
you could technically have one guy be like the third down guy and one guy be like the open field guy or you know you could kind of mix it up like that and that would be actually kind of an interesting idea and unique way to do it i don't know i don't think that's how they're doing it but you know it's not uh it's typically play calling is a collaborative process in most places where people and part of the staff gets input um at least in in the places I've been, it hasn't been a totally one guy calls the play. Everybody else shut up. Some places it is like that, but most of the places I've been have been collaborative in some sense. So the co DC title is probably a lot of, they're going to put the plan together and come up with the plan. And, and that'll probably involve collaboration from the rest of the staff as well. So I think it's really going to be, who's going to be calling the plays and, and possibly situate situationally, maybe who's going to be calling the plays, but I, I, the, they're probably pretty collaborative in general. So it won't be too crazy to switch it up. You may just be switching up who makes the final call. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, for for USF to, to win this game, you know, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum. Third downs, fourth downs, the red zone. We already hit on red zone. Uh, Central Florida's not been great on third down. Uh and they've hadn't had to go for it on fourth down a ton. They're nine of eleven on fourth down this year on offense, uh, which is pretty pretty surprising given the way you know. We, I think we talked about it last week, and and I think we may have talked to, uh, about it on the emergency pod about how aggressive uh, teams are being nowadays, and it, it's kind of trickled off to to the NFL as well, right? Where teams are being a lot more aggressive. You saw it in the Chargers, uh, you know, Steelers game on Sunday night. It didn't nearly backfired uh, for the for the Chargers going forward on fourth and fourth and inches from I think their own thirty. Uh, so it, it's interesting that they're not quite doing that opponents have gone for it 25 times, but you know, they're around a 39% third down com- uh, conversion on offense. So that's where USF's defense technically is. They're a 40% uh, third down conversion allowed team. It doesn't feel like that most of the time, but they have been better, but yeah. that is what, what can USF do to kind of get this team off kilter and, you know, outside of, you know, that your traditional havoc plays. Yeah. I, I think what helps, you know, what helps on third downs is winning early downs too. So you, you want to get them in as many third longs as possible. So, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, bring pressure on early downs. Don't just save, don't save your good stuff for third downs. Basically. Uh, if you can get, if you can consistently get somebody into third and 10, it's going to be hard for them to convert. And it also lessens the odds of them going forward on fourth down, right? If you've got a fourth and seven, you're probably not going to go for it. Whereas if you have a fourth and two, maybe, maybe I'll go for that. So I, I think, you know, don't just save it for third downs, bust it out on early downs. Third downs are important because if you, if you win that down, you can get off the field typically, but it, you you can kind of help yourself there by winning early downs. And you see here, um, <laughs> where where USF is in early downs, they're 128th at the bottom here, 128th in early downs EPA. So they're is not that bad. <laughs> there's only 100. There's there's like oh, I thought there was like 356. Like no, in not, basketball, I thought they were middle of the road there. Just 130. And oh, that's you, you see a little bit below average, but about average on early downs. So you play great on defense and limit them on early downs. 
push them into long third downs. They're not great on third down. That's where you can kind of get off the field there. On the other side, you see they're good on defense first and second down. They're about average, a little bit above average on third for third and fourth down. So the other side of the ball, stay ahead of the chains, right? Stay on mm-hmm. schedule. Give yourself con- easy conversions. So, you know, it, it's winning early downs is going to be important here too. Uh, you can't live and die in third and long on either side on on offense. So whoever can kind of force those third and longs, I think will have a really good chance. And then um, the other one is you know kind of the explosive play margin. Whoever I think whoever wins expo- that margin, uh, explosive plays will go a long way towards winning the game. And then like you mentioned, red zones and turnovers. I mean, if you force a couple turnovers, you get yourself some short fields. We've seen USF's offense take advantage of that in the past and kind of make some of these games a little tighter uh, than the opponent anticipated. So all that kind of formula, the same formula you followed against Houston and Cincinnati, that's kind of the formula you're going to have to and just be a little bit better on defense. And, mm-hmm. and that's what you're kind of hoping to, to see. Okay. As we move toward our, our final thoughts and we head toward the predictions, uh, I want to kind of end it on, on this kind of note uh be safe uh out there folks um it's we mentioned at the top man this thing's pretty toxic and uh i I know we've had i've had i know i had some run-ins i think it was the i think it was the 2017 game um where it was not it wasn't healthy then. And if there was like the nervousness and I think you're going to see some pompousness, uh, probably from both sides. I would, I would really hope, uh, you know, that the, the USF fans are, are above, above that noise, but I, I know it, it's hard when you're, you're drunk and you're just trying to get through the day. <laughs> uh, if we're being honest, just trying to get through black Friday get into the off season, <laughs> but uh, just don't be stupid out there. Um, don't let your emotions get the better of you. If, if they start something, by all means, finish it. No. Uh, but don't be the instigator. Um, just be be courteous enough. Uh, don't slash tires. We are not them. Uh, that seems to be. Yeah, a, see, I haven't. I haven't. I have not experienced these. Uh, these types of experiences. So I'm not the best person to ask about the toxicity of the rivalry. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just real toxic. Uh, just, I, I'm not a fan of where this is heading. And, you know, football aside, USF literally dominates Central Florida in every other sport except for volleyball. Historically, uh, check out women's basketball, uh, check out baseball, softball, just it happens like that. That's just what happens. Um, it just football has kind of taken over uh, this just toxic, toxic wasteland. And I think that's just kind of permeated through college football and college athletics as a whole. It's, it's not fun. It's just really not fun anymore um, to, to do this shit all week and regardless of who you're playing if even if you're not playing them there you know people are still just chirping back and forth it gets old i'll, I'll be perfectly honest on, on that I, it gets old i hate it i hate it so much um but now 
USF wins. I take all that back. <laughs> it's chirp time. And you're going to hear some shit. You ever seen a rockadoodle? No. What is that? Oh, okay. It's about a, it's about a crow uh, named Chanticleer that is basically the Elvis of his day. It's very hard to explain movie. Um, <laughs> but he, the, all you need to know is at the end, he... He he can't crow, so the sun doesn't come out, and there's a nasty flood. Right at the end, he finally gets back and crows, and the sun comes out, and everyone's happy, and it's a happy ending. So you know, that's you're gonna rise from the ashes like Chanticleer and crow, and bring the yeah. sun out, and everyone will be happy. Yeah. So by all means, when if USF wins and beats this eighteen and a half point spread and pulls off the upset because this is with this would truly be an upset. Talk your shit. But until then do not. <laughs> yes. That's that's where I'm at. Uh let's get to the predictions. I feel like we're we're heading off the rails here just a pinch. Uh, Seth we've been pretty good uh this year uh, on on predictions. You know Tulane and ECU aside. Well, yeah, I mean, could did not expect uh, them to play their worst game of the the season. I downplayed uh, the offense two weeks in a row, and I finally came around. And then, then they do that to me. I know that's just tough. That's just tough stuff for you, uh, Seth. What is your prediction for this game? Black Friday, three thirty, ESPN in Oviedo. Well, I'm going to go. I said it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm not picking the defense to give up less than 30 points until I see it, not including Temple and FAMU. So I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with like a 34 21 type game. UCF, the Central Florida Golden Knights. Steeg sent me his prediction. Okay. Um, much like the musical Hades Town. No, he didn't do all that. Uh, 34 27 <laughs> uh, Central Florida Golden Knights as well. Okay. So now I don't feel so bad. <laughs> oh. I think the defense is too far gone. I I know that the move needed to happen; it was necessary. But I don't, I don't think three practices is going to solve all of the issues on defense. Uh, Tulane put up forty five, I believe. Right, forty five to seven was the forty five fourteen was the final score. Yeah, don't forget that. I would never forget Kate Fortin's rushing touchdown. Uh, Tulane's offense is significantly worse than Central Florida's offense by almost every metric. <laughs> by almost every metric. Uh, I, Central Florida will win. 48-31. Okay. Sounds like a cover. It does sound like a cover. Uh, but I, I don't see right now a place where USF can win uh, just by how bad they look last week. I just don't see how three 
practices fixes that. I don't see how yeah. changing the defensive coordinator fixes that. I it just it's too far gone. You are who you are. Uh, mm. You know, uh, changing the voice may help, but it's not going to help enough to to overcome the glaring weakness of this team, and that is tackling, defense, coverage, all the things you need to be good at on defense. They are not. You know, I uh, and I, you know, we even talked about that in the post game. You know, people were saying, you know, we, I, I was basically saying you can fire him, but I don't know what it changes in one week. You know, this there will be similar problems, but maybe they take a page out of Don Brown's book and solve all their problems with aggression and just play balls to the wall, blitz a ton, play a lot of man coverage. And maybe the aggressiveness pays off in turnovers and and, and some big plays. Uh, you could get burned, but you know, uh, you know that would be a change. That would be something they could change in three days. It's just, hey, we're gonna play more green coverage. We're gonna play more aggressively. You could get burned, but yeah. maybe maybe you you know maybe you, you pull out a couple turnovers and, and kind of make this a, a kind of muddy, dirty game. And and, yep. and I think that's your chance. So. I think so too. I think safe as death in the final game of the year when it doesn't really matter except for bragging rights and, uh, you know, moral, um, you know, wins going into the offseason. And it's not be really aggressive. an audition. Blitz. Yeah. It's not really an audition for either of these guys, I don't think, to become the defensive coordinator. So it's not like uh, you're, I got to <laughs> call the perfect game so I can get the job next. I don't think it's going to happen. So I think it's really, hey, man, let's go out on our sword at least. Yes, let's let's put a feather in our cap that we've called a play before and and go from there. Uh, That's a great resume builder. Um, You can just add that to your your LinkedIn uh, profile and uh, your your what AFCA, uh, you know, profile and and go from there. But blitz everybody. Give me give me an engage 11. See what happens. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Give me, give me something semi-exotic. Well, thank you for joining us for an extended edition of the Blue Naughty Podcast. Uh, as always, I am your host, Nathan Bond. Seth Varndor is the smart guy behind everything that makes this thing work. Appreciate you guys tuning in, watching, listening, downloading. Uh, it's just good stuff. Be sure you check out homefieldapparel.com. Uh, Black Friday's coming in three days. Daily Stampede, uh, first-time users get 15% off their order, first-time users, site-wide. Black Friday to Cyber Monday, 20% off site-wide, no code needed. They've got tons of schools, gift cards. They'll have you sorted for Christmas, birthdays coming up. All right, Nate's gone. Uh I think what he was going to tell you, promo code Daily Stampede at Home Field. They've got all kinds of stuff. USF stuff, if you have family members that went to other schools, they've got that. You get a nice firm and FU all the time shirt. It's very nice. And then uh, a final thanks to uh, Irish 31. I don't think they sponsor the film room, but they've been a great sponsor overall. And I didn't pay for my drink last time when I went there. So I'll give them the free plug. Um, appreciate you guys watching. Go Bulls. Hopefully we're back next week with a big win where we're rewatching the entire game. That would be fun. Have a happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Go Bulls. Let's get weird.